Hallelujah. So we're in the book of Matthew here, and we're in chapter 16, lesson 48. And we left off with Yeshua telling us that on this rock, I'll build my kehillah. And the rock, of course, is Messiah, and specifically the revelation that's given by the Father, that Yeshua is the Son of God and the Messiah. And then right after, he praises Shimon, Peter, Kepha, for receiving and understanding that revelation, we get this next narrative of the rebuke of Peter. And it begins with Peter kind of rebuking Yeshua. In verse 21, it says, From that time on, Yeshua began to explain to his disciples what he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and on the third day raised to life. And so Yeshua tells us here who's going to be behind his death or at whose hands he will suffer. And he lays that suffering and the death squarely at the feet of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, who are, of course, the Pharisees. And we know when he's tried, it will be kind of a makeshift illegal meeting of the Sanhedrin at night that will send Yeshua to Pilate, but it will be members of the Sanhedrin nonetheless. And the Sanhedrin will be comprised of elders who were the leaders of the people, the the elders, the leaders of the communities of Israel. They were the heads of the families. There will also be chief priests or priests who, of course, were the Sadducees. And finally, the teachers of the law or the scribes who were representative of the Pharisees. And he tells the disciples that he will suffer many things and be killed. And many times people, we all understand the killing part of this. But oftentimes we don't really understand the suffering part of it. I remember when the movie The Passion came out a few years ago. I hadn't intended to go see it, but then someone called and offered for me to go to a free showing for pastors. Well, as soon as I heard the word free... My ears perked up. So I went. (laughs) And at the showing, when when they came to the graphic parts, I don't know if you've seen it or not, but very graphic beating of of Messiah and the suffering that he went through, the pastors that were there, many of them started to weep out loud. And I thought immediately, I I wonder if they were ever really in touch with just how much he suffered, because I wasn't really moved by the graphic part of it because I'd read how much he suffered before. I think we read those things sometimes and they never really click for us. We almost think of those descriptions of his death as hyperbole or something. And this poor understanding is furthered by pictures and images of his death where we have a man nailed to a cross and we have a small amount of blood running down his little palm here. And then we look at his head and we've got a couple little blood streaks running down here. And that's, we look at that and we associate that with his death. But the Bible tells us something much different, especially if we look at Psalm 22. It says in verse 14, I'm poured out like water, all my bones are out of joint. It says all of his bones were out of joint. If you read the Gospels, you find out that he was kicked and he was beaten to the degree that his bones were, like it says, out of joint. They weren't broken because Psalm 34 verse 19 says, A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them from them all. He protects 
his bones and none of them will be broken. And so that we know that none of Messiah's bones were broken. But he was kicked and he was beaten so bad that he was literally out of joint. And then if we read on in Psalm 22, it says, My heart is turned to wax, it's melted away within me, my strength is dried up like a potsherd, my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth, you lay me in the dust of death. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me, they've pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. But, O oh Lord, be not far away. O oh my strength, come quickly and help me. Deliver my life from the sword, my life, my precious life from the power of the, of the dogs. And notice that it says, I can count all my bones. And he was beaten with a Roman whip with bits of iron embedded in the lash and it tore hunks of flesh from your back, exposing bones and organs. Isaiah 50 verse 6 says, I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from their mocking and their spitting. And so we're told how badly he was beaten, that his beard was literally torn from his face. In another place it says, that he was beaten beyond recognition of a man. And I don't think we really understand how much he suffered before he was put on the stake to die. But the thing that really brings it home is that he died in only six hours, and it usually took days for a man to die on the stake, which testifies how badly he was beaten before he was put up there. So the thought of Messiah, the Son of God, suffering and dying like this, elicits this response from Peter. He says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Now for Peter to hear that Messiah, the son of the living God, was going to be put to death must have been more than he could comprehend. How could that be? The son of God put to death impossible. And so we get these words. And I think that one thing is really clear from the Gospels is that, that is very few, if any, thought that Messiah would, have, would die. They expected him to set up a kingdom that would last for millennia. And Peter is reflecting the view of the day that Messiah would not suffer, but rule, drive out the Romans, and make their leaders pay for all that they had done. Deuteronomy says this, and, and this is what they were expecting. 15 verse 6, it says, The Lord your God will bless you as he promised you, and you will lend to many nations, but you will not borrow. You will rule over many nations, but they will not rule over you. And so what I want you to see is this is what they were expecting Messiah to bring about. And if we look at Jewish eschatology of the day, they divided the present age into three 2,000-year segments. The first called desolation because it was this, at this time that the world was destroyed by water. It was so corrupt. The next 2,000 years called instruction because it was during this time that all the giving of the word of God took place. The Torah, the prophets. And then the next 2,000 years from four to 6,000 were the days of Messiah. You see, they expected Messiah to come to rule and bring light to the nations and that the knowledge of Messiah would fill the nations. And, you know, we know that happened in part, but it wasn't like they expected. They didn't expect him to die. And we see this expectation that he would rule, which was a teaching of the Pharisees, in the words of Peter. 
In verse 23 says, Yeshua turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And so Yeshua's rebuke of Peter is something that I'm sure we would all rather not hear. Right? But it's not quite as bad as some would think. He's, he's not really calling Peter Satan as in the personal title or that he's demon-possessed or something like that. The word Satan means adversary. And so Yeshua is merely saying, get behind me, adversary. He says, you're a stumbling block to me, an obstacle in my path. And then he says, you do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. You see, the things of men are always an obstacle in the path of the divine. When you think about this response, you know, think about it. Here's Peter, he says, never, Lord, never will this happen to you. And he gets rebuked. It must have been kind of a shock for Peter. He says, no, Lord, not, this will never happen. A noble thought, one that you would think he would get a pat on the back for, he probably was thinking he'd get a pat on the back for. Instead, he gets this rebuke. He more likely, more than likely stood there like a stunned little child who thought he'd done something wonderful and got a spanking for it. Right? Scripture says there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to destruction. And there's another verse that says, my ways are not your ways. So the ways of men most often are not good ways. The other thing, uh, thing Peter has done here is he's kind of stepped outside of his discipleship. The role of a disciple. You see, a disciple was to follow, to listen to the master, to learn all of his teachings word for word. But here, he expresses the wishes, the desire, and the teaching of the Pharisees. Never, Lord, this will never happen to you. His stand is not accepting the words of Yeshua, but a rejection of Yeshua's words for what he's learned from other men. And so we get this in the conclusion of the chapter, a lesson, Yeshua goes right into a lesson on discipleship. He says, then Yeshua said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And so here Yeshua not only tells them that he must suffer and die, but in the opening sentence of the discussion on discipleship, he hints at the way he's going to die. He says, if you want to be my disciple, if you'd come after me, if you're going to be a member of my kingdom, you have to deny your wishes, your desires, and pick up your cross and follow me. Just as Yeshua denied himself, his wishes, his desires, he picked up a cross and followed the Father. In order... To be Yeshua's disciple, you must do the same. You must continually have on your mind the things of God. Remember, the disciple was to become like his master in every way. Live like he lived. Walk through life like he walked through life. And Peter gets a lesson as we're going to read. In verse, uh, Peter gets the lesson as we're going to read. He later recites the it back almost in 1 Peter chapter 2 and 21. He says, this you were, this, To this you were called, Messiah suffered for you, leaving you an ex example that you should follow in his steps. So we can see that Peter got the lesson. 
John makes it even clearer in his, in the, in his letter. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 3 says, We know that you have come to know him if we obey his commands. The man who says, I know him, but does not, does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in him. For if anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Yeshua walked. And so John gives us the same lesson in words that are about as plain as you can get. He just says, if you don't walk like Yeshua walked, if you don't obey, obey his commands, you're not only not good disciples, you don't even know him. That's a terrible thought, isn't it? There's a lot of Christians in the world who say, I, 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 I'm a Christian, and I know Jesus, and they don't know him. They're going to find out one day, they're going to hear the words of Yeshua say, depart from me, I never knew you. And they never knew him either. The whole of the good news that they will take out to the, to the nations relies on one principle, that of making Disciples for Yeshua. Training people to walk as he walked. Listen to what he says in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18 as he sends his disciples out. Yeshua came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, the whole of the gospel of the kingdom rests on this one principle of laying down your life and walking as Yeshua walked through life. I have to tell you that our idea of spreading the good news is so far removed from what Yeshua intended that what we do is teach people Instead of teaching people to be, we teach people to be disciples of the world. Not Yeshua. We don't teach others to walk as Yeshua, but we teach them to walk on what our idea of Yeshua is. Which is far from reality. We don't make disciples of Yeshua. Instead, we bring about the words of John. The man who says, I know him, but does not do what he commands as a liar, and the truth is not in him. We make people liars. They say they know him, but they don't know him. Yeshua is emphatic about this following him and not yourself, and we can see this in the word that Matthew uses for deny. It's used only one other place in the gospel, and it's used in Matthew chapter 26, in verse 74 and 75, it says, And he began to call down curses on himself, and he swore to them, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. And then Peter remembered the words Yeshua had spoken, Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. You see, here that word for deny is translated disown. And it's used to describe the completeness with which 
Peter had denied Yeshua. I don't know him. That's how we're to deny ourselves. We're to pick up our crosses and follow Yeshua totally and completely until we don't even remember what we used to be. To give you a better idea, the Greek word that's used was used here was used in the Septuagint to translate the Hebrew word ma'as. Listen to what it means. To spurn, to abhor, to cast away, to condemn, despise, disdain, refuse, reject. We're to cast off and abhor and reject who we were and become like Yeshua. And then he says this in verse 25. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world yet forfeits his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? I mean, how clear can it get? Your life, our lives are so contrary to the will of God that you have to forfeit it. We think of our lives as so important. We think and we take pride in the things we do in this life. We're proud of our accomplishments in this life. And yet, Yaakov, Yeshua's brother, tells us this in chapter 4 and verse 14. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. All of the things that we're so proud of, all of the things that we so value in this life, are going to vanish with us. In the end, you're left standing alone. And the only thing you'll have is the things you did for Yeshua to clothe you. You see, you must lose who you are to the core. Cease to exist in favor of Messiah Yeshua living through you. There's no middle ground. And I'm sure that Yaakov, when he wrote that passage, had the words in mind of King Solomon from Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 9. It says, Then I became great and increased more than all who preceded me in Jerusalem. My wisdom also stood with me. All that my eyes desire, I did not refuse them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart was pleased because of all my labor. This was my reward for my labor. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, it was vapor and striving after wind. And there was no profit under the sun. Everything in this life is temporary. And to this So to this thought of Solomon, Yeshua adds an eternal dimension. Life in the kingdom of Yeshua is so contrary to the pursuits of this life that to follow Yeshua, we must lay them down and follow him exclusively. You know, if we look back to Matthew chapter 5, we can understand this even more fully. Yeshua is about to give his first message to the people of Israel. And for the people of Israel, you have to understand, the most pious, the most upright men in the world that they knew were the Pharisees. That's what Josephus tells us. That's how the Pharisees derived their authority. 
They were considered to be so pious, so upright. They're the rabbis, the teachers of Israel. They're revered, Josephus tells us, for their piety. Now listen to what Yeshua says, and I'm going to read chapter 5, 17 through 19, and then verse 20. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not the smallest letter nor the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. And then skipping to verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. We spoke about this before. Yeshua is about to give this first message and it's going to be so far removed from what these very righteous and pious men of Israel have taught that he has to begin the message with don't think that I've come to abolish the law but to fill it up with meaning. In other words, he's saying, look, what I'm about to teach you is so different from what you've heard before that you may think that I'm doing away with the Torah. But understand this, there's no part of the Torah that can disappear until everything is accomplished. That means till the very end of the age. What I have truly come to do is to correctly interpret its meaning for you to give you a new walk, the one that God intended. And understand this. If your righteousness doesn't exceed that of the Pharisees, these pious men, these men you look to, you will certainly have no part in God's kingdom. You see, there's a way that seems right to a man that leads to destruction. If you want to keep yourself from destruction and be part of Yeshua's kingdom, his kehelat, you have to give up those things, no matter how pious or righteous they look the things that you think are right, give up those teachings which seem right to you and walk in the footsteps of Messiah. You know, we talk about the path being narrow. It's narrow, all right. It's following in each and every footstep. You know, sometimes even following in the footsteps of Messiah sometimes means you have to do some things that aren't very comfortable. Right? Sometimes loving your brother as yourself means you have to tell him when he's doing wrong, just as Yeshua has done here with Peter. Sometimes, you know, I've been told that I'm too hard on people sometimes. That I should just let everything go and, and everything will work out okay in the end. Well, I have to tell you that I don't see that as walking in the footsteps of Messiah. Walking in the footsteps of Messiah also means that something must be said to those who are walking contrary because of the eternal consequences. If you love him, you're going to be worried about what happens to him eternally. You know, when Yeshua rebuked Peter, he could have just let it go. He could have just said, oh, he'll get it later, I'll teach him. But he saw Peter was wrong and don't think it was an easy thing for him to say. Get behind me, adversary. You're a stumbling block to me. But he did it. Because we all need correction at times. If you truly love your brother, you'll do it. And yes, let me give you a little hint. You have to be kind about it. But you'll do it. 
It must have been a hard thing for Shaul. Think of Shaul. He has his uh, little uh, encounter with Peter. In Galatians chapter 2, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly wrong. I said to Peter in front of all of them, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile, not a Jew. How is it then you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? If you see your brother is not following in the footsteps of Messiah, the only loving thing to do is to say something. They may not like you for it. They may reject you for it. They may speak evil of you for it. But if you truly lost your life and you're walking in the footsteps of Messiah, you'll do it. And like I say in that regard, a word of caution, let me also say you'll do it in kindness. The point is, we have to walk in the footsteps of Messiah. And it's not easy. It's nearly always contrary to what we think. That's why we have to walk in the Spirit at all times, Paul said. And next he tells them why it's important for us to walk as he walked. If we love our brother, we must rebuke his behavior at times. Listen to what verse 27 says. For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what he has done. Isn't that great? We've got a reward coming, amen? Hallelujah. According to what we've done. Did you hear that? <laughs> He's going to reward. The problem is that word for reward there is in the sense of repay. He's going to repay each person for what he's done. And he's going to do it measure for measure, eye for eye, and a tooth for tooth, because he's the eminently fair judge. The Greek word that's used here means this, deliver again, repay, repayment, perform, recompense. You know, I look at the church today, I'm telling you this, we, I look at the church and I see people walking around like peacocks. I'm saved. By the grace, I don't need to do this because I'm just a sinner. I'm saved by grace. And hey, that's true. And you know, when you hear that, it sounds really good. It sounds, wow, look at the great trust in Yeshua he has. It really sounds great. He trusts the redemptive work of Yeshua to the degree that he doesn't even worry. He sins and thinks it's no problem. It's all covered. I'm just a sinner. Doesn't it sound great? Problem is, it's a trust with no foundation in fact. It's what I like to call hogwash. Because Yeshua just said he's going to repay each person. Each person. According to what he has done. Are you a person? You have a reward. A repayment coming to you. Great, right? Well, it may not, it may not be so great. Because I want to read now what I left out of chapter 5. Remember, I skipped a couple verses. We're going to read those now. Anyone who breaks the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, you may be, you may be very confident that you're going to receive a reward, and it's true, you're going to get one. But when you get it, you may not be very happy with the repayment. You see, while it may be a given that you'll be at the wedding supper of the Lamb, you may be so far down that table that Yeshua is at the head of, you may be so far down that table that the noise of the weeping and the gnashing of teeth, you can barely hear his words. What Yeshua is telling us in all of these passages, folks, is life is serious business. You're either going to die with Messiah carrying your cross or you're going to die without Messiah. And the only way to die with Messiah is to follow him in his footsteps. And Shaul knew this. He says this in Galatians 2, verse 20. He says, I've been crucified with Messiah. And it is no longer I who live, but it is Messiah lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. He's telling us that the path is so narrow that to stay on the path, you have to walk in those exact footsteps. And then he closes the chapter with, I tell you the truth, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the Son of Man coming into his kingdom. So look at her. Here's Peter. He's on a roller coaster ride here, right? Last week we looked at how he was praised for seeing this revelation. This week he gets rebuked. And then next week he gets to go up on the mountain and see Yeshua glorified. How good is that? Right? But that's for next week. <laughs>